Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. He's been traveling the globe just to hold people accountable. And very few people are doing this work. And he's been doing it tirelessly. And I'm grateful that he's also grooming the next generation. He is the founder and president of both the Institute of the Black World and the 21st Century and the National African-American Reparations Commission. Let me welcome the one and only Dr. Ron Daniels. Welcome back to the Karen Hunter Show. Drew was saying he didn't really have a, a robust understanding or a conversation around reparations. And he went to Morehouse. So yep. You would think that would be there. First of all, in Dr. the 90s, in the 90s. <laughs> right. Yeah. But where are we right now with reparations? And well, let me let me just say it's not a, it's not unexpected that he would not have known. And by the way, I have a, a cousin who was president at Morehouse University, Dr. Sam Dubose Cook. Um, oh, OK. Yeah, yeah right. So there's a whole story behind that. But uh, uh, Dr. Hunter, can as you well know, these issues <clears throat> take a long time to develop. And the reparations issue is a multi-generational struggle to whom, to whom we owe many, many, many people. Going all the way back to the first time that our people stepped on these shores, we have been fighting for repair. Um, uh, and then it goes back to people like this, that people don't know a lot about Fanny. Uh, uh, Cali House. It goes back to after the Civil War, the actual, a lot of people don't know that there was a bill passed by the radical Republican legislator that actually did grant reparations, the 40 acres of mules. That's where that comes from, from all the way from South Carolina to Florida. Uh, General Sherman had decreed by field order because he understood that in a, a country that was built on black labor, and it's much more than that, that the, it is the most horrific Holocaust in human history in terms of the totality of people who lost their lives. But he also understood that we should have a stake. People kind of understood that. But it was Andrew Jack Johnson who vetoed that because he was concerned that even white people would begin to demand land in this society because it is a capitalist political economy. It has its own ethos and ethic, which, you know, was responsible for our being captured in the first place. But it has never stopped. So whether it is from, from, from people who pushed uh, like Cali House and and then with Marcus Garvey and into the most recent period. You know, I mean, I was someone I didn't, I was, well, this is 50 years since the Gary Con National Black Political Convention. I played a leading role in that. So I, I'm not ashamed to say that as a graduate student about to go off and get a, a master's degree at that point, I was blessed to meet a woman whom everybody should Google and know, Queen Mother Audley Moore. And Queen Mother Moore, uh, you know, said that she was a brain surgeon. She said her job was to operate on constipated minds. Mine was one of them because I was about to be a student with all this knowledge and had been in the civil rights movement and all this kind of stuff. And she said, do you know anything about reparations? What? What is that? But she began to educate a whole generation of us about you have to get your reparations. What is reparations? And by the way, what is your identity? Why are you still calling yourself a Negro? When actually, if you understand the Latin and Portuguese, Negro is no, not never. That means black, but no, not never should you grow. I'd rather be a regro than a Negro. I mean, she's just an incredible woman. Full disclosure, I, I got to um, sit in her apartment in Harlem as a 20-something-year-old at the New York Daily News. I had no idea 
I knew I heard her name, Queen Mother Moore, and I was doing this Black History Month. They allowed me to do that because nobody had done a Black History Month right, package right, right, right. for the entire month. So every single day I was, you know, doing features. I visited grave sites. I sat with Betty Shabazz and it was an amazing time. But to be 20 something and not have consciousness and to sit with Queen Mother Moore without consciousness, the questions I could have asked, I, I sit right now and like, I'm a little sad because that woman was. Mm. Yeah, but she, well, she she adopted me. She adopted me as a mentee. Actually, I remember mm. I was at the mm. State University of New York. It was then called the Graduate School of Public Affairs. It's now called the Rockefeller School um, of Public Affairs. And you know, she just mentored me. We ran up and down the road. She introduced me to a full of Randolph, whole bunch of stuff. Bottom line wow. is, is not only me. She she helped to because at the Gary Convention, if you go back and look at the what was going on in, in, in its nation time, you see her in the hallway. She's sitting there, this 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 brilliant, self-educated woman saying, you got to get your reparations. Do you understand? She single-handedly compelled elected officials, advocates, and so forth to understand what reparations was about. So we cannot overlook her contribution. But then you have the birth of organizations like in Cobra, which came out of the the, the, the Black Nationalist Pan-Africanist movement, Amario Adele, people like that, Chokwe Lumumba, whose son is now the mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, who was talking about building the Black Bell South and independence and so forth, but also making the case for reparations. And then that exploded into Cobra. And then we have to see uh, a, go to Detroit and see the modern political godfather of reparations, the Honorable John Connors. It was John Connors in 1988, recognizing that the Japanese had achieved their reparations through the uh, Civil Liberties Act of 1988, who said, hmm, why can't we do something similar? And in so doing, he then in 1989 introduced H.R. 40, which was the bill to study. That's, that's what I remember now. We were just studying it then, studying reparations, right? And he used it as, and we used it as an organizing tool because there were a lot of people like, like like Andrew and like you and others out there who we, we had to first persuade ourselves because if there were people who didn't who first of all didn't understand and know what reparations were number one or didn't believe it was possible why we got current issues why should we be bothered with that and so forth and so on but over time throughout that educational process we began to build out people who came to be to know more and more. Conyers introduced H.R. 40 every year, every single year without fail since 1989. But then there were other things that exploded onto the scene. We have to rec recognize the growth and development of, of, of the CARICOM Reparations Commission that we have a synergistic relationship with. In fact, I'm one way to manage this evening to meet with the chair of the the, uh, the CARICOM Reparations Commission, nations from the Caribbean who have been dependent upon former colonial powers who made the decision in 2014 to challenge the colonial powers for and demand reparations for native genocide and for African enslavement. But beyond that, then you had inside this country, people like Tanahashi Coates. I mean, Tanahashi Coates uh, article in the Atlantic introduced a whole new generation yeah. and he was not a believer he didn't he right. was converted well he made the case it was called the case for reparations That's i remember right. it was i think it was 2015 2014 um, and we should we should tweet it out while while you're talking so people can read it i thought that was a quintessential dissection no, no, that, that was that was one of chapter the, and one verse of the, yeah that was one of the key 
moments. And the thing about it is, I mean, we didn't know who he was then. We now know he's the son of Paul Coates, who was in you know black classic press and all those kind of things. So the the the, the, the fruit doesn't fall far, far from the tree. But he was persuaded. But the other thing that was so good about what he did was he also had people understand some of the issues I'm sure your audience sometimes call about. Reparations is for enslavement to be sure. And there's no amount of money cost anything that could ever pay for the horrific Holocaust of enslavement. But it's for much more than that. It is for all of the legacies, all of the, 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 the racially exclusionary policies that are derivative from enslavement. For example, and of course, um, Black labor, white wealth. Um, uh, by uh, do, 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 um, uh, anyway, I will come back to me in, in a minute. But black labor, white wealth laid out the whole case. We had the Homestead Act. White people took advantage. This is the thing that people have to understand, even up to today. There were policies that white people took advantage of that government signed off on at all levels that we were excluded from. Yeah. The Homestead Act was one of them. Yes. Claude Anderson. Um, Claude Anderson. Dr. Yeah. Claude Anderson. Yeah. White, Black Look, Labor. Go ahead. There have been a lot of people with this drumbeat, Dr. Ron Daniels. Where are we today? I feel like there's um, a divisive tone, whereas Malcolm, Marcus Garvey, you know, Queen Mother Moore, it was a global understanding that wherever black people were in the diaspora, reparations are owed. So we need to come together. And if we do it together, then we can go to France, get it for Haiti, go to Spain, get it for all of the Spanish speaking places where we were dropped, go to Portuguese, get the reparations there. Of course, in America, America, yes, England, all throughout the Caribbean, Caribbean. But if we do it together, that just seems to make more yeah, sense. I understand that, but I'm, I'm, I'm being I'm being intentional about what I'm saying, because okay. part of the divisiveness has to do with people's lack of understanding. Mm. For example, there are some people who say that's that we should only be fighting for reparations for slavery only and only for enslaved Africans who can prove by lineage somehow through some kind of test that they were uh, American descendants of slavery. And of course, that is a fallacious argument. It may be well-intended, it may be misguided, our job is to help. So where we are is educating people that is far beyond that. It even gets down to gentrification, redlining, urban renewal, all those things are a part of it. Where we are is, in spite of some of the discordant voices, they are really the minority. We stand right now today, I just this afternoon convened the 99th session of the HR 40 strategy group that includes a broad array of organizations, Black-led organizations, including the NAACP, the Urban League, uh, the National Action Network, the National Council of Negro Women, American Civil Liberties Union, Center for American Progress, Human Rights Watch, all of these organizations. We have met for 99 weeks. Next week will be 100 weeks. And what we have done under John Conyers, the first bill never had more than 50 co-sponsors, almost because eh, we weren't necessarily interested in co-sponsors only to keep the bill alive. But as the things began to develop, we went to John Conyers with the help of Vancouver and uh, and we changed the bill. The bill that we're now looking at is no longer just a study bill. It is a bill to study, yes, but it is also to develop reparations proposals for African-Americans. That bill, through the work that we have done, has 217 either co-sponsors or yes votes today. It takes 218 to pass the House of Representatives. And 
so where we are, but we know what's going to happen in the Senate. So we, you know, we're not interested in moral victories. We want real victories. So we are standing all of that support. And we are now pushing President Biden to enact the HR 40 commission by executive order. That's where we are. And, it, and, and, and beyond that, I mean, y'all have heard of Evanston, Illinois, right? If you don't check out the uh, Erica Alexander's The Big Payback, mm-hmm. you know, talking about Evanston, Illinois, we helped through the, the, the uh, National African NARC to certify Robin Rue Simmons in Evanston, Illinois. There are cities all across the country who are doing local reparations. Reparations is happening in Evanston, Illinois right now. Asheville, North Carolina, uh, Rhode Island, Providence is on the move, San Francisco, I mean, all across the country. So this is Queen Mother Moore and, and Con- they're dancing because they, they, they are happy, Cali House, because we are on the verge of, I mean, reparations is just exploding everywhere. It's no longer a marginal issue anymore. So that's where we are. And that is due to, you know, the work that many of us done, including you, be on the radio, pushing out, educating people, getting people engaged, provoking them to think about this issue. On the global scheme, yes, I've just returned to two incredible meetings, one in Bellagio, Italy, a a summit convened by Nicole Hannah-Jones, 1619 Project. The sister is no joke. She ain't just doing the 1619 Project. She is deeply committed to this issue of reparatory justice. And we met with us, so a smaller group. And then on to the Vatican. We have just met with a high official at the Vatican. And we all know you have traced the whole history of where the Catholic Church is in this. We have said, you have got to pay. It's not just, it might pay not metaphorically, not in terms of dollars and that kind of, you have to have to make repair. You know what wait, the wait, so, so draw draw the line, because I think a lot of people are yeah. Catholic listening. They don't know that that the Catholic Church, uh, besides ships being christened and stuff with by by priests, what what is the connection the to the Vatican? The Catholic, the Catholic Church, through a number of papal bulls, sanctioned and profited from the transatlantic slave trade. Both, right? They made they they have they inherited enormous wealth from it, but they also gave because at one point there was only one church in the Christian world that was the Catholic Church. Their Pope was the representative of Peter on Earth. Da 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 da. da. And so that 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 gave the justification for these missionaries to be the shock troops for oppression, both in terms of both enslavement and subsequently colonization, for which they are now due. And they and this national movement, this global movement, is calling them into a moment of reckoning. So we met with them, and frankly, it wasn't even it wasn't even like a standoff meeting. They were very receptive because there is a global movement pushing this out. If you go to our website, you'll see the images of us standing there, Cam Howard, myself, Dr. Anoya, Anoya Mar Inya, and Nicole Hannah-Jones with Bishop Ty, and the press release is talking about where we go in terms of moving it forward. So you have this enormous movement, and then on into Accra, Ghana. The Accra Declaration is scheduled to be to um, be issued on, this, on the 30th, on the eve of the uh, the commemoration of the transatlantic slave or the, for people of African descent. And we met with the president of Ghana, President Adu, came out forcefully endorsing reparations and challenging uh, leaders from all over the world, particularly black leaders, to be on board. And some of them already is, are. Maya Motley, the prime minister of, of Barbados, bad sister, on board, moving it forward. And we just had an amazing development in Colombia. 
Colombia has the second largest group of Africans in America in African descent, 15 million. New election there. And they've just elected a new president who I understand today they tried to ambush and kill him just today. That's how back in the retrograde they are. But then a African-American sister, a, a Afro-descended sister is the first African-American, African-descended vice president of Colombia. And they are going to establish an equity commission and they are going to establish a national reparations commission. Reparations is exploding. Reparations is on a move. It is unbelievable how far we've come. And so, yeah, there's some discordant voices. There's some people, you know, picking up the edges and so forth and so on, but they are by far in the minority. But the key thing that's important, Dr. Hunter, is that some of the arguments sound seductive. And so we don't want average ordinary people who don't know anything about reparations to be inadvertently sort of drawn in. Arguments like, well, you know, them Jamaicans are taking our jobs. And them African people coming over here, they getting jobs and we can't get no jobs. I mean, that kind of black nativist kind of argument. Now, if we got some issues, we can work those issues out. But we know fundamentally that is not the question and that is not the issue. And we're not about to deny Kamala Harris or Malcolm's mother and father or Malcolm himself or, or, or Harry Belafonte. I mean, these are these are these are a part of our community, as you said. So we're not going to about to uh, we're not going to about to adopt anything that's going to exclude them from being a part of receiving reparations. Because when Abner Lumima was tortured, they didn't ask him whether he was from Haiti or not. When 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 our brother was gunned down, Amadou Diallo from Guinea, they didn't ask him. Well, hey man, are you from Guinea? No. This Rob Malcolm said we all catch hell for the same reason because we're black people, and black people have been deprived on that basis. And so we can dis- we can discuss differences and how we apportion it and all that, but there's no question that we're not accepting a narrow, restrictive definition of who can give reparations. We want it all. We want everything that is due us and reparations is the only question that the Honorable Sheila Jackson Lee has said, it is the only policy prescription that can finally and definitively address the issue of structural institutional racism in these United States of America. Dr. Ron Daniels, president and founder of the Institute of the Black World, uh, 21st Century and the National African-American Reparations Commission. Um, Going to the Vatican, what did you find there? What did you expect to to accomplish and what did come out of that trip? When we went to the Vatican, first of all, because we were in uh, Milan and and, uh, and the Bellagio is, is really... The Rockefeller um, Foundation has something equivalent to kind of like the Jackson Hole Center, you know, where the intellectuals and all gather and this kind of stuff. And Hannah Nicole um, uh, Jones was 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 honored with a uh, fellowship and she could use her resource to do whatever she wanted with it. And she decided to do a conversation on reparations, which was a great conversation, by the way, and talking about how do we strategize, how do we work more closely together, identifying key issues that we needed to address, one of which I'm going to come back to in a minute. And we said, well, while we are in while we are in Italy, it was Cam Howard who is with the Reparations United who said, well, look, we got to go to the Vatican. And the idea was we were just wanted to raise some of the issues you talked about. We wanted the world to know that they were complicit, that they were both provided the sanction and profited. So we didn't know whether we were going to be out there holding signs. And but because of relationships we had, we found out that hmm, we actually got a meeting. And in the meeting with Bishop Ty. What we found out is that there was receptivity. 
It was not even a polite, we'll just listen to you. They was talking to, he was talking to us by, about ways in which, given what the Pope was doing, he just got back from Canada, he's now on an apology tour of South America and so forth, that the church needs to deal with this issue. And he began to point us to key persons, key, key cardinals, key bishops that we're going to follow up on. So we now have a new front, if you will, a new avenue that we're opening up. And by the way, it's not just the Catholic Church. That is perhaps the most egregious. It is the Episcopalians. It's the Presbyterians. It's, it's all of these denominations. Many of them profited and benefited from investments and, and being a part of, of enslavement. And so Black folk who are part of these denominations are pushing. And so when you talk about Black Catholics, when I call my dear friend Mark Moriel, Mark Moriel said, oh my goodness, he said, my mother you know, it was a part of the Black Catholic organization for years and years and years. And, and she would be all over this particular issue. And we found others are saying likewise. So we're opening up, reaching out to the Black Catholics. Um, we're reaching out to Black Episcopalians, Presbyterians, and also to engage in a broad-based called faith-based coalition to push for reparatory justice with the Catholic Church. Sure, it may take time, but also with other denominations also. This is a moment of cleansing a moment of national reckoning. And the other thing I have to say quickly, you're aware of this. It was also a George Floyd moment, another thing that propelled this movement forward. I often think of his daughter, that beautiful daughter of his, and I remember what she said. She said, Daddy changed the world. And all the way in Ghana, when we met people in Ghana, from people from Ghana, but not just from Ghana, they from all over the world. They, they heard that. That is the beauty of social media. That is the beauty of internet radio. That is the beauty of what happens in the world today. We are no longer as isolated as we once were, even though we did a pretty magnificent job back in the day of getting the word out as well. So we are being, there's this, this, this synergy that's taking place where all over the world, people are coming to grips with this great movement, which Professor Sir Hilary Beckles, whom you should have on yourself sometime, Google, Professor Sir Hilary Beckles. He is the chair of the president of the University of the West Indies. And he's also the chair of the, the uh, CARICOM Reparations Commission. I'll be seeing him tomorrow in, in Atlanta. He is the intellectual, he's the intellectual leader, so to speak, a, a generational talent who combines both the head and the heart. He can tell stories. He can tell the narrative backed by brilliant, brilliant, brilliant scholarship. His book, Britain's Back Black Debt, is a classic. And he's now just did a second book. Uh, along the same line. So, and we can help hook that up so you can have him on your show. This man is phenomenal. Make and the introduction said, for sure. We'd love to. He has said that reparations will be the human rights issue of the 21st century. And he is prophetic and correct and so saying. What do you think reparations actually then looks like? Is it checks? Is it programs? What does it look like? It's all of that. And so when you go, the other thing I want to do is, is ask people, we, we in the National African-American Reparations Commission develop intentionally a 10-point reparations pro program. It's a 10-point program. And when you go to our website, you can see that 10-point program. And what we do in that is we do, we show that there are both what we call direct benefits. So I'll give a quick example. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, it is a crime and a shame that we now have maybe three surviving descendants all of whom are well over 100 years old, who never got a direct payment. They are due a direct payment. But follow me here. Even if all of the descendants, in fact, had gotten direct payments, how do you repair something called community that was destroyed? 
You see what I'm saying? How do you repair and rebuild Black Wall Street or the Greenwood, yeah, Greenwood District of, uh, of, 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 of Tulsa? That takes what? Community benefits, investment in what? Community economic development, education, healthcare. And so what you see in the 10-point program, and you go to ibw21.org, ibw21.org, and go to the Reparations Resource Center. What you see there is, yes, individual benefits, but you see us talking about how do we get land for socially responsible economic development? For example, one of the concepts is we support our indigenous sisters and brothers. They are yet to be fully repaired, but they were at least after a, a trail of tears able to get what I call Kazai sovereignty over land over which they largely have 95% decision-making power. They can do whatever they choose to do within certain limits, but the limits are, are, are broad in terms of latitude. Where there are millions and millions and millions of acres of public land in these United States of America. Why can't, as a part of a reparation settlement, we get millions of, of acres of land to build out Black ec economic development institute, educational communications infrastructure, all of that. So we talk about community benefits being as important as, in fact, in some ways, even more important than direct benefits. So in Evanston, Illinois, for example, people did not, the Evanston, Illinois is based on redlining. Those people who in fact can prove and they can prove, we saw the records, we saw how they they, they moved black people from over here to over here in order from to get to the lakefront property and all those kind of things. And what we saw there is, therefore people are getting vouchers. They're getting an ability to invest in a home, a down payment home improvement, those kind of things. That is a collective benefit. But they're also gonna be talking about other kinds of benefits as well. So it is both of those things. We don't have to have an argument about whether it's one or the other. Though the one thing we do stress, we don't want this reduced to the concept of a check, which is very often used in a pejorative negative sense, because no amount of money ever, however you calculate it, can pay for the enormous damage done to us by the horrific, just the Holocaust and enslavement, and also recognizing that without our free labor, there never will have would have been the the, the dramatic uh, development of the United States, the United States of America as a, as a capitalist society in the way that it has come to be dominant. Those points always have to be made. We have to keep this conversation going. We have uh, thirty seconds left, Doctor Daniels. Will you come back? Let's let's continue this conversation. Got to have of you course. back on. Let's have this conversation frequently. Dr. Ron Daniels, we're going to tweet out all your information, including reparations, comm.org, where you can see the 10-point plan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.